Connecticut's winning streak ended last night at Creighton to go around college hoops. We're out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports zone by Justin Williams from The Athletic. And, Justin, let's start that game from last night. UConn outscored 42-9 to for behind the arc uh, by Creighton last night. That's difficult for any team to overcome. Anything else stand out in uh, you know, UConn's first loss last night in the last 15 games? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just kind of surprised. This is the same UConn team that beat a really, really good Marquette team on Saturday by 28 points. So, you know, it just kind of shows the the volatility of, of college basketball. I was talking to a, a coach recently, and, you know, they said you can talk about all the stats and metrics and everything you want, but it's still a 40-minute game with, you know, 18 to 20 three-year-olds now uh so so really any night anything can happen but uh I, i'm with you i was kind of surprised to see a uconn team that you know i think could easily be the favorite to win the title come out and you know on the road and another team hits some threes you can it can snowball i mean you can you can look like a bad team even though you're really good you mentioned a couple things you know, the 23 year olds and also on the road uh have we seen this many road upsets i don't remember this many in the past but is part of that because you know a lot of the players are older than they have been in recent years, and you know any other uh, you know reasons why there's been this many upsets, and uh, especially in road games for top ten teams. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I got a shout out. Uh, my colleague Brendan Marks wrote a really good uh, feature for the Athletic last week, the week before, just kind of about the parity this season in college basketball. And, and he talked about some of the things you mentioned, the fact that there's some older fifth and sixth year seniors, you know, whether it's they're using the COVID year or whether NIL is kind of an excuse for them to, to stay an extra year and play. And then you add that with the transfer portal. And I think you kind of get a little bit, um, you know, better dispersal of talent and you have some teams who maybe aren't quite as talented um, from like a high school recruiting standpoint, but they're older and they're more experienced. And I definitely think you're seeing that show up in, you know, these games, whether it's unranked teams beating ranked teams or, or, or like you said, you know, a game like UConn beating Marquette by 28 and then going and losing by, by 20 to, to Creighton. So it definitely feels like it's a little bit more wide open this year. Or, you know, we could be here in a couple weeks, uh, you know, a month or so talking about Purdue versus UConn in the championship game and, and maybe won't feel that way in the end. But I'm with you that right now kind of heading into conference tournament time and, March Madness on the horizon. It just it feels like it could be one of those seasons where a team that's really old and experienced and fundamental, you know, goes on a big run in uh, in March Madness. And honestly, we, we kind of saw that last year with teams like Florida Atlantic and and San Diego State, who weren't necessarily highly ranked, but just had good squads that uh you know got hot at the right time. And I think we could see a repeat of that this season. Okay, one more thing from last night with UConn. Is it's no big deal for them, uh, big picture-wise, or did they maybe have some weaknesses exposed that other teams can take advantage of? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say if you're a team that can come in and shoot lights out from the three-point line, then you know maybe you have a shot against them. But you know, I saw a couple other people talking that this is actually when you want to lose a game if you're a team like UConn. You know, some teams in the past who uh, have gone into March Madness on a huge win streak, on a hot streak, and, you know, then maybe they kind of run up against it that time of year, whereas if you get this game, this loss out of the way, now they can kind of regroup. Um, so whether that proves to be true or not, I do think there's some, some credence to the fact that if you're going to lose a game, you'd much rather lose it now than in the Big East tournament or, or in March Madness. So I don't think it really hurts 
UConn's chances. I don't think it gives anyone else a better chance of beating them. But I do think it shows that if you're a good team like Creighton and, you, and you're hot on the right night, then you can definitely go out and beat anybody. Okay, one of our two poll questions today, in fact, both poll questions are college basketball uh, topics, but uh, this was written before last night. Uh, question is, uh, you know, which team has the best chance of winning the NCAA tournament if UConn does not repeat? And I just took the other three number one seeds from Saturday's you know, selection show, or early selection show, Arizona, Houston, or Purdue. So if Arizona, Houston, and Purdue, which team do you think has the best chance to beating UConn when we get to March? Or, I guess, early April. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Like, so I was in the building in Columbus last year when Purdue lost to uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to like just completely jump on the the Purdue bandwagon. But this is, you know, it's also the same blueprint that Virginia, you know, hit a couple a few years ago, right, where they they lost the one season they came back and and won the championship. I, I think Purdue is better than that team they were last year when they were also a, a one seed. I think Zach Eady's better. I think their guard plays a little bit better. But if if we're talking specifically about a UConn matchup. Like, I love Houston. You know, I think they defend really well. I think Jamal Shedd is so good as a point guard. And I just think they're kind of a, a tough and, and nasty team that would really give, you know, a, a team like UConn, which is great offensive and defensively, I just I think the way they guard can maybe give UConn some, some problems on the offensive end. My fear for, for Houston in terms of making a run is – they don't have a ton of depth, and I think they're kind of like positionally small. And, and for a team like UConn that has, you know, Castle and and Klingon, who's really big on the inside, uh, I, I guess I would maybe give the edge to Purdue if we're talking specifically about beating UConn. But just in general, Purdue and, and Houston um, are the ones to me that I think like if it's not going to be UConn, it might be one of those two teams. Houston, you know, jumping from the AAC to the Big 12, are you surprised they've been this good the first year in the Big 12? A little bit. You know, uh, I, I followed them really closely when they were in, in the AAC. And, and again, they, they were good. They made it to the Final Four, Elite Eight. It's not like, you know, they were catching anybody by surprise. But just that, that gauntlet of playing in the Big 12 night after night conference play, I thought we might see a little bit of signs of, all right, you know, you're not playing – you know, no offense to Temple and Tulsa and some of those AAC teams, but it's a lot different when you're playing, you know, Texas and, and Texas Tech and, and Kansas, uh, you know, back-to-back in conference play. And, and so I've been pretty impressed with, you know, Kelvin Sanson's definitely built a, a very strong program there. But for them to come in, you know, Big 12 year one and for them to be atop the standings and, and kind of make that transition without stumbling at all, at least thus far, that to me shows just how good they were, even though we, we already knew that because of the, the deep tournament runs that this almost reinforces and, and um, kind of amplifies that. Justin Williams from the Athletic Curly in the Sports Zone. Arizona, what would you consider to be uh, its strength and uh, you know, what might be some areas that good opponents can exploit? Yeah, I mean, they – uh, the, the Caleb Love thing, like, you know, I know that was kind of a whirlwind this offseason, but, you know, geez, it looks like he's going to be Pac-12 player of the year. And I think he just kind of gives them a, a dimension, a, a dynamic that they maybe haven't had in the past couple of years. The knock against Arizona is really not, not a knock against them. It's just how weak the Pac-12 has been this season. Um, you know, I think Washington State's kind of making this nice surge, and I know they play tomorrow night, I think, right? Um, yes, and that'll be an interesting game. But it's just, you know, they that conference might get two teams in, Arizona and then maybe Washington State, maybe Utah. It's just kind of surprising how down that season has been. As a team, though, I don't 
think they have a ton of weaknesses. You know, Caleb Love in the past has been a streaky player, so maybe if it's one of those situations where he goes cold at the wrong time. But the way he's played this year, I've actually been really impressed with, and he's been more consistent than I expected. And so I, I wrote earlier this week, I think there's a chance that maybe Arizona is kind of like very, you know, they might get a number one seed, but it feels like they're kind of doing it quietly just because there's so little attention paid to the Pac-12 this season because it's not that, that strong of a conference. Our second poll question is kind of the opposite from the first. You know, which team has been most disappointing in college basketball this season? I took three teams that were in the preseason, AP top 12, Gonzaga, Miami, and Michigan State. So of those three teams, which one do you have been most disappointing? I mean, Gonzaga and, and Michigan State still have a good chance to, to make the tournament. Definitely Michigan State. I think they've kind of – I think they lost the other night, but they've they've turned it around a little bit. So, out of those three, I feel like you might have to say Miami just because I don't you – know, they're not anywhere even really in the, the NCAA tournament conversation. So, you mentioned in that, we just talked about the Pac-12. You know, I don't remember exactly what their preseason expectations were. There was so much hype around USC entering the season with yeah. getting Isaiah Collier, the number one freshman. They get Bronny James. Uh, I think they had Dennis Rodman's, you know, son transferred there. And there was just so much hype. And maybe it was more, you know, or clearly it looked like it was a little more sizzle than steak with that team because they just have kind of completely fallen apart. I know Collier got hurt. But that's one that jumps out to me is there was so much hype like, oh, man, these USC games are going to be crazy with Bronny James and Collier and, and all this attention on them coming into the season. And that one's completely fallen flat. You know, the, the Miami thing, uh, any ideas of, as to why they've just, you know, it's not like the AC, it's not like the ACC is murderer's row here. You know, what, what has happened to that team? No, it's a good question. I mean, you know, it's, they're, I think, a team that uh, maybe overperformed the, the, the past couple seasons, right? They, yeah. they made that um, NCAA tournament run, you know, early a couple years ago. And then I just think, you know, it's you know, like Matthew Cleveland was a really um, highly touted uh, prospect, but just hasn't completely like hit his stride in, in college. And um, the Pack's a guy who, you know, played really well a couple years ago, and it just hasn't totally worked out this season. I think the defense has just been kind of suspect. Um, and really, it's, it's cratered here recently. I, I have to look back, but I think they've lost like three or four in a row. Um, so they were, you know, kind of one of those teams who were, you know, hit conference play and, and were struggling to go on a win streak. And now it's just, it feels like the bottom's falling out. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I can't necessarily point to something specific of why it hasn't worked out. I just, I think it's a team where, you know, that all the pieces haven't completely gelled together. And you're seeing this other places too, like Florida, same state is a good example. They brought in a few transfers, you know, started the season fine. But now all of a sudden it feels like everything's coming together. You can almost point to this with a Kentucky team, too, that has a, a mix of young players and some older transfers. Sometimes it, it gels and comes together and works. Sometimes it doesn't. feels like with Miami it hasn't or it certainly hasn't yet. And some other teams, even though maybe it didn't happen right away, it feels like it could be happening for them at the right time, like Florida or maybe Kentucky. I'm pretty sure I would have put Kentucky in that question uh, had they not played that game in Auburn last Saturday when uh, seemingly they turned their season around. So just while we're you know, while you bring it up, uh, you know, are they just too young? What's happened with Kentucky? Are they they can't guard anybody, but they guarded fine <laughs> in Auburn last Saturday. I'm confused. <laughs> no, you're totally right. I think it is. You know, 
we've seen this before with Kentucky, right, where they have all these freshmen who come in, and, you know, the one-and-done freshman teams aren't quite as successful in the past couple of years because of what we talked about with older teams and the transfer portal. But there's been times where Kentucky would kind of struggle, and then towards the end of the year, the, the freshmen would grow up a little bit, and they'd hit their stride. And this year, even though they have some guys like Reeves and Trey Mitchell, you know, older guys, the guys who transferred in, they also have uh, Reed Shepard and Wagner and, um, you know, the what's the Dillingham, the, the, the guard. And it feels like on nights when everything clicks, like it did against Auburn, you mentioned they look great. And then they don't play a lot of defense, so on nights when it doesn't click, they just give up 80, 90 points and, you know, look like they, they're not going to have a chance to do anything. So for that team, you know, they're just one of those streaky teams that, like, if they have a good couple weeks when the SEC tournament hits and the NCAA tournament hits, you know, they're going to look like world beaters and they can go on a big run. Or they could have that one game where they're cold from three-point line and they don't play good enough defense and they get beaten the first weekend. So to me, they're they're a total toss-up team where like I wouldn't be surprised if they they make a run to the second weekend, elite eight or something like that, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't even make it to the Sweet Sixteen. Starting college basketball, Justin Williams from the Athletic. Okay, Rick Pitino had a few things to say after the St. John's loss on Sunday. They blew the night. They were up 19 in the first half, ended up losing by, I think it was six or eight points. Among other things, he called his players unathletic and uh, slow, uh, slow laterally. Uh, this is his group of players. Should he just kind of shut up, or he's never going to shut up, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think he's – it's a couple of things. He's at a point in his career where, like, he doesn't have to go out and say the politically correct thing, right? Like, St. John's knew what they were getting into when they brought Rick Pitino in. He, You know, he can go out and kind of say whatever he wants. That's just, uh, you know, the, the record and history that he's built up. I also think this is, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the way he's doing it, but I, I think he's, you know, maybe doing some chess moves here where he's talking about how bad the facilities are and how, how bad his players are. Well, for a team that has kind of fallen out of the NCAA tournament discussion a little bit, is struggling, this is like a way for him to kind of get some attention. And, you know, whether it's the administration or the boosters at St. John's or whether it's players who are thinking about entering the transfer portal, well, now suddenly they're reading these stories about a team that is not playing well and is struggling, and they're thinking, well, maybe we need to improve our facilities, or maybe I can go transfer to St. John's and play right away because, you know, I'm I'm laterally quick and, and I can beat out some of these guys. So, Maybe he was just mad and blowing off steam, or, you know, I'm not going to say anything past Rick Patino. The guy's won a lot of games. This could be a, a smart chess move by a really experienced coach, you know, finding a way to drum up some interest here late in the season when the team's not playing well. He got some interest, for sure. No doubt about that. <laughs> uh, of course, Patino left uh, Louisville. That didn't end well. Uh, it's gone going well at Louisville now with Kenny Payne. Any idea as how they can fix that program, which has been great for a lot of years in the last 50? Uh, it's a mess right now. Can you know any ideas how or anybody that uh, comes to mind that could turn that around? Who should they pinpoint? I assume they're moving on from Kenny Payne at the end of the year. Yeah, I would have to assume they'll be on the market for a coach. You know, this to me is an example of it does matter who you hire. Um, you know, Kenny Payne came well-regarded, and, and he's an alumni, and it feels like a slam-dunk hire. A lot of times, though, when, when you bring, you know, kind of a beloved son alumni home, it, it doesn't always work out. But this is a school that, you know, it's basketball crazy. There's tons of resources there. If you make the right hire, I, I think there's a very good chance it works out. I'm not sure exactly who that would be. You know, I'm, I'm based out of Cincinnati. You know, Mick Cronin was a, an assistant there yeah. under Rick Pitino years ago. He came to Cincinnati, had a lot of success. 
he remembers what the weather in the Midwest is like, so I don't know if you're going to be able to pull him away from Southern California and UCLA. <laughs> but he seems like the type of, of coach where, you know, you at least got to make that call because if he would say yes, I feel like he would come back and have tons of success there. But you're going to have to convince him to do it. Um, and, and he's kind of one that, that jumps out. Uh, but there's no other names. You know, Dusty May, I know, has been talked about for Indiana and Ohio State. You know, I think if he, if he wanted Louisville, he would be a good fit there. Um, I don't know exactly who that right person is, but it feels like Louisville is one of those schools where if they do find the right person, if they do get the right hire, that, that school is always kind of a, a team that has a chance to elevate and win a national championship because of the, the resources they have and the support they have there. Okay, you mentioned Ohio State and Indiana. Obviously, Ohio State fired Chris Holman on Valentine's Day. Uh, how good is the Ohio State basketball job, and who do you think might be a fit there? Yeah, you know, they made the move early, and my thought was, well, maybe they're doing that to go after somebody like Dusty May because he's been mentioned for an Indiana job that might come open. So, you know, why would you make that move that early at that point in the year? Maybe you're trying to get a jump start on the kind of the coaching carousel cycle. I think Dusty May would do great there. Um, you know, I, I know Chris Mack, when we talked about Louisville, that's that's a name that I've heard is, you know, he's considering trying to get back in to, to the coaching ranks. I don't know if you could sell Chris Mack, someone that didn't work out at, at Louisville, but he's had past success. Kind of keeping it in that region, Sean Miller, who's down at Xavier, his name's been, been mentioned as well as, you know, if, if he wanted to go somewhere or maybe they have the NIL a little bit more in place. He moves there. It's such a weird job because everyone just cares about football there. And so, you know, basketball, you're totally under the radar. You're totally the little brother. But because of where you're at and because of the resources of that program in the Big Ten, you know, you do have pretty much everything you need. So that's another one where, you know, if they can bring in the right person who wants to grind and and kind of recruit the Midwest and and play in the the Big Ten, I think they can have success there. If I were them, I would try and get out in front of of maybe a potential Indiana move and and call down to Dusty May down at Florida Atlantic and see if you can get in there. Okay, so we mentioned Indiana. Mike Woodson might be moving on. You mentioned the Dusty May thing. Michigan and Jawan Howard, that's not going so great. Does he come back next year? That's another interesting one. You know, they've – they've so far been kind of putting their support behind him and obviously a lot of change going on at Michigan with the, you know, Jim Harbaugh leaving after the national championship. That's another situation where, you know, you're, you're kind of little brother, even with the history at at Michigan, because football is always going to take precedent. It seems hard to believe that with the season they've had and the health troubles that Juwan Howard has had, and there's, you know, also been other kind of rumbling behind the scenes that that they would just kind of run it back next year. So I have to think that's another job that's going to come open. Um, you know, if you're asking me right now, I would be very surprised if we get to the off season and, and Michigan makes the decision to, to run it back with Juwan Howard. But so far, you know, I think they've had every opportunity for either him to step down or move on, and, and they haven't taken it, obviously. Justin, good stuff. Really appreciate all the time, and uh, I assume we'll uh, try to catch up with you again uh, in the next month or so. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Appreciate having me on. Thank you very much. Justin Williams from The Athletic. Excellent stuff there.